Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Heather, and I want to remind you about our very special tours to the UK. In 2017, we'll be doing tours focusing on the Evensong experience. The Evensong service comes from Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer from the mid-16th century. It's been dubbed the atheist's favorite service because it requires so little and it gives so much. It's simply divine choral music sung in some of the most historic chapels, abbeys, and cathedrals in England. We'll be spending 10 days visiting places like Cambridge, Oxford, Bath, the Cotswolds, Winchester and Windsor with walking tours, free time to explore, and then gathering back each afternoon for the Evensong service if you choose to attend. It will be 10 days of beautiful countryside, historic cities and villages, and so, so much music. I invite you to go to englandcast.com tours for full itinerary and pricing information. Again, Englandcast, E-N-G-L-A-N-D-C-A-S-T, englandcast.com slash tours. Thanks so much. And now to the show. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, Episode 40, The Armada, The Twelve-Day Battle. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. So I have a really quick admin note for you this week. I have just joined the Agora Podcast Network. It's a growing network of independent podcasts who work to sort of grow the entire podcast audience. Agora is a marketplace of the mind where intelligence, independent podcasts meet curious and discerning listeners. And somehow I have convinced them that this podcast should qualify to be part of that. <laughs> so as part of that joining Agora, I'm switching hosting services. And I'm a little bit nervous about this because I've been with my current host, HipCast, for almost seven years now, but I am assured that the switch should be painless and straightforward. But if you notice any sort of downtime or if you experience any problems, please do let me know. Also, as part of this move, you're going to hear ads on this podcast. So I've debated for a long time about ads. I never wanted to flood my podcast with ads, 
But as it stands right now, they are pretty much a basic way to generate a bit of income to help pay for the expenses of this podcast. And most of the podcasts I listen to myself do have ads. And a lot of the, well, all of the other Agora podcasts, many of whom you're probably already listening to if you listen to this, they also have ads that are fairly unobtrusive at the beginning and the end of the episode. So let me know what you think. My hope is that being part of Agora will help grow this audience as well as the audiences of history podcasts in general, which is something I'm really committed to. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships and all of that. So that's what I'm doing. And that's the note on that. Next, a reminder that if you aren't signed up for my newsletter yet, it's totally free and you can do it at the website, englandcast.com. Newsletter subscribers get exclusive content. For example, in December, there was the digital advent calendar as well as an extra mini cast. And this month, there's a video cast of my trip to Kadith as well as an extra mini cast coming on Ket's Rebellion. So it's totally free. I won't ever spam you or sell your email address or anything like that. Finally, don't forget that there are show notes. For this episode, I've put together a really extensive list of links of all the people involved, everything like that. And that's at englandcast.com. And you can now text the listener feedback line, which is 801-6-TESCO or 801-683-9756. And before we kick off officially... The Agora podcast member that I want to plug this month is the History of the Papacy podcast from Stephen Guerrera. I talk a lot about religion on this podcast because it's such a big influencer of the history of the time. Renaissance England wouldn't be Renaissance England without the particular brand of Protestantism that emerges out of the Reformation. So if you want more background on the Pope and on Catholic history, check out this podcast. Again, the History of the Papacy from Stephen Guerrera. So with all of that out of the way, let's move on to the Armada. Hooray! When last we spoke, Philip of Spain was on a holy mission to eradicate Protestant England and restore England to Catholicism and most likely imprison or kill Elizabeth. This is the unsinkable Armada, the most powerful empire in the world, coming after our teeny tiny little outpost of an island which has hardly any defenses. Woe is me! How will we ever survive? What to do? What to do? But it's important to remember that things weren't all doom and gloom for England. First off, they had home court advantage, right? That's a pretty big deal. Practically, News of the developments could be carried to Elizabeth and Richmond in about 12 hours, whereas Philip was in Spain in his compound El Escorial, north of Madrid. Changes to the battle plan could be made on the fly much more easily. Also, psychologically, it's much easier to rally troops to defend their homeland and their families than it is to get them to fight to capture another country that's this foreign country that they probably don't even care about. And as we talked about in other episodes, England's shipbuilding technology at this time, mixed with the small industrial revolution going on in the wheel with the blast iron furnace and the cannon, this meant that technologically England was far more advanced than other countries at this time. Spain was relying on the fact that they had the best foot soldiers in the world. But none of these foot soldiers mean anything if your enemy won't grapple with you and instead favors shooting your ships with their cannon. Also, England had a cast of characters 
that were extremely talented, and the people who dictated policy didn't micromanage to the same level as Philip. And they let the talented sailors like Drake and Frobisher and Hawkins make their own decisions as much as possible. So while this was really scary and a major threat, England wasn't the sitting duck that it is so often portrayed to be. Let's look at the cast of characters on each side. In the Spanish corner, you have Philip II. He is a bureaucrat in every sense of the word. He loves to micromanage. I would have hated to have him as my boss. He believed that this was his holy mission. He felt little need to meet with his commanders and to understand their perspectives because his directions were given to him directly by God. How could his mission fail? He was on a mission from God. Early on in planning the Armada, they looked at previous invasions of England and saw that, in general, invasions tend to be pretty successful. Even the Tudors really were from an invasion when Henry Tudor came and and killed Richard III at Bosworth Field. So they looked at this history of invasions back through the Vikings and through the Romans, and they saw that, you know, really invasions of England when you look at them, tend to be pretty successful. And Philip said, how can ours be any any different? How can ours not be successful? We're coming from God, <laughs> right? This was really part of his plan. So his armada team includes the Duke of Parma, who is heading the Spanish army of 30,000 soldiers in the Netherlands. He has doubts about the success of this whole operation. And he resents the command that has been given, the command of the operation has been given to someone else, the Duke of Medina Sidonia. He wasn't directly obstructionist, but he didn't help nearly as much as he could have. Then the Duke of Medina Sidonia was an army commander and got seasick on ships. In fact, he didn't want anything to do with the Armada. He begged to not have to be appointed to be the head of it. He didn't have the money, he didn't like boats, he had no experience, but he was good at following orders, and when Philip ordered him to do something and gave him the plan, he carried it out to the letter. Finally, the third person carrying out these plans was Juan Martinez de Recalde. He was the Drake equivalent in Spain. He was the best admiral they had. Time and time again, he felt that if he were given the chance to deviate from the battle plan, even just a teeny bit smidgen, he could have defeated the English. But there was no deviating from the battle plan. Philip set this battle plan, and the Duke of Medina Sidonia followed it out, and that was what they were going to do. So that's the Spanish side. On the English side, we have Elizabeth. Elizabeth is clearly a woman, and so she is not really expected to participate in making war so much. So she delegates. The Lord High Admiral is Charles Howard, Howard of Effingham. And while he doesn't have the same naval skills, kind of like Medina Sidonia, he trusts the renegades, his his admirals, people like Drake, Hawkins, and Frobisher. He puts in he is put in place to be a check on them and to sort of keep their energy in control, but he doesn't overrule them to the same extent that Medina Sidonia did with Ricalde. Then we have these brilliant sailors and admirals, these famous and familiar names that we know, like Sir Francis Drake, John Hawkins, and Martin Frobisher, people that I remember hearing about in fifth grade. So they're the people, they're the cast of characters that's going to defend England. 
So the Armada set sail in May 1588 with 130 ships, 30,000 men, 180 priests, 11 million pounds of ship's biscuit, 40,000 gallons of olive oil, 600,000 pounds of salted pork, 11,000 pairs of sandals, 14,000 barrels of wine. That's really super important, right? Your 14,000 barrels of wine. It was a, a pretty, pretty well supplied armada. These 130 ships were largely converted merchant ships. They weren't really meant for naval battle, but a naval battle wasn't part of the plan. The plan was to use the ships simply to transport these amazing foot soldiers, the best foot soldiers in the world, to their land invasion. So the plan in theory was a pretty sound one. You send the ships up, you meet with the Duke of Parma from the Netherlands and his 30,000 troops, you sail across to Dover, you land these amazing foot soldiers, they march to London, they get the Queen, they restore Catholicism, and they burn some Protestants, right? Sounds pretty easy. But there's some problems. The biggest one, of course, is that communication at sea before texting or phones was really difficult. There's this idea that you could just have all of these ships meet up with this whole crew of other ships somewhere in the ocean. They're just going to, you know, find each other. And it's really, really quite absurd to think about that. And yet that's what the plan was calling for. So by July, the English Navy is in Plymouth waiting to see where the Armada is going to arrive. When Drake first heard that the Armada was spotted, he moved his ships into the channel and he began what would be sort of the unique method of English fighting, which is simply to harass and shoot at the Spanish ships, not really engage them, but to simply fire cannon after cannon at them broadside. And rather than turn back and attack, the Spanish fleet kept sailing, trying to figure out how and where to meet up with the Duke of Parma. Ricalde actually wanted to attack them in Plymouth, and he was overruled by Medina Sidonia. Who knows what would have happened if he actually did engage them directly, but he didn't. They just kept sailing on. After one of these early exchanges, the Spanish did lose a carrack and a galleon, the Rosario and San Salvador, which were abandoned. And Francis Drake boarded these ships and captured about the equivalent of two and a half million pounds of gold and a huge supply of gunpowder and ammunition. So this harassment went on for several days like this, with the Spanish sailing, trying to look for Parma, and the English just kind of nipping at them like annoying yappy dogs. Shoot, 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 run away, shoot, run away. The Spanish, they were trying to get into the Solent, which was the bit of land in between the Isle of Wight and the English mainland. They hoped that they could have a protected base there and then meet Parma. And this was where really the first attack from the English comes into play. It's really important to remember that that Elizabeth had put all of her resources into the Navy. If the Spanish are allowed to land anywhere, there's hardly any army there to protect the mainland. They simply cannot allow the Spanish to land anywhere near English soil. So the English break up into four groups and they attack in different ways. They know the water. They know where the currents are. They know where it's dangerous. They're able to force the Spanish back out into the open sea. And the Spanish head for Calais. They're still not even exactly sure what's going on with Parma, but they're going to Calais. 
So on July 27th, the Armada was anchored off Calais in a defensive formation close to where Parma's army was meant to be waiting. And that army in the Spanish Netherlands was dealing with disease, was actually reduced to about half of its intended size, about 16,000 men. And the Armada finds out that Parma's army is actually still not able to be transported or assembled in port. It was going to take about another six days. So another very important thing is that the port where they were meant to be waiting was being blockaded by the Dutch fleet. So really this plan is just not as good in practice as it might have been in theory. Parma suggested that the Armada should separate and use some of the ships to drive away the Dutch. But Medina Sidonia, he was like, "Uh uh-uh, I need all those ships for my protection. You worry about that. And the Dutch blockade had actually been there for a while. It seems as if nobody in Spain really took the Dutch seriously. They were always going to have to cross this bit of the sea that was kind of in the Dutch zone, but it didn't seem like a very big deal to them in the planning. As it was, it was something that was pretty insurmountable. They weren't going to be able to get past the Dutch. So that night, as the Spanish are anchored there near Calais, the English sent eight fire ships into the Spanish fleet. They sacrificed some of these warships. They packed them with pitch, brimstone, gunpowder, and tar. They sent them into the densely packed group of Spanish ships that are all tightly together in this defensive formation. The Spanish see them coming, of course, and they manage to intercept two of them and tow them away. But the other ones floated into the fleet. So these ships have to cut their anchors. They're drifting around, scattering. There's a lot of confusion. You can imagine how terrifying it would have been. It's dark. It's the middle of the night. And here come these fire ships. And it was fairly common. It was something that people were were always afraid of. But you can just imagine the kind of confusion that people would have felt having to cut these anchors and drift away, sail away from these fire ships. So in all of that, there actually weren't any Spanish ships that were lost, but they did lose this tightly packed defensive position that they had. And the English were able to take advantage of this confusion and close in for a battle. And the battle lasted for over eight hours During this time, the English, they were utilizing their kind of superior maneuverability. They got shot after shot off at the Spanish. The Spanish guns were actually different. They took longer to reload, and they were really unwieldy. They they weren't as light and easy to use as the English guns. The Spanish, again, were relying on grappling. And Drake and the English knew this, and they stayed well away from them. And after eight hours, the English were actually running out of ammunition. They had to pull back. Five Spanish ships were lost. But even more important, this Spanish planned meetup with Parma was clearly not going to happen. And the Spanish Armada drifted north. And this provided England a little bit of space to relax. But it was clear that they were still a threat. It wasn't completely over yet. Howard harassed the Armada all the way into Scotland, and then he called off the pursuit. And Medina Sidonia decided to go back to Spain via the North Sea around the tip of Scotland and the side of Ireland. And there was still fear in England that an invasion from the Netherlands, from Parma's army, could come. 
And so Robert Dudley, Elizabeth's favorite, the Earl of Leicester, he had a force of just 4,000 soldiers in Essex to defend the Thames estuary. And this is where we get that famous speech by Elizabeth to rally her troops. I'm going to quote some of it because it's worth it. It's one of the most famous things that Elizabeth ever said. And so I'm going to quote some of it. She says, My loving people, we have been persuaded by some that are careful of our safety to take heed how we commit ourselves to armed multitudes for fear of treachery. But I do assure you, I do not desire to live to distrust my faithful and loving people. Let tyrants fear. I have always so behaved myself that under God, I have placed my chiefest strength and safeguard in the loyal hearts and goodwill of my subjects. And therefore, I am come amongst you, as you see at this time, not for my recreation and disport, but being resolved in the midst and heat of battle to live or die amongst you all, to lay down for my God and for my kingdoms and for my people, my honor and my blood, even in the dust. I know that I have the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart and stomach of a king and a king of England too. And think foul scorn that Parma or Spain or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realm to which rather than any dishonor should grow by me, I myself will take up arms. I myself will be your general judge and rewarder for every one of your virtues in the field. So that was Elizabeth's fantastic speech that will go down and has gone down in history as being this rallying cry. Of course, she knew those troops never needed to fight because the Armada was well and truly away. And they were now running into their own struggles. So that brings us into September and the Armada is a wreck. They're sailing around Scotland and Ireland into the North Atlantic, and the ships are just a mess. Some of the ships are only staying afloat because their hulls are tied up with cables. And remember that raid that Drake did in Cadith? The payoffs of him capturing hoops and staves to make barrels are really showing themselves now. The men are getting sick because they're eating food that is not well-preserved because the barrels aren't well-seasoned. And so these men are getting sick. Supplies of water and food are really scarce. The perfect plan would have been to keep well away from the coast of Scotland and Ireland, to sail way out into the North Atlantic and then back down into Spain. But remember, there's no way to accurately measure longitude at this time. And the Spanish weren't aware that the Gulf Stream was actually carrying them north and east. And they eventually turned south. And this was really bad. This was a really bad mistake. Because off the coast of both Scotland and Ireland, way closer to the coast than they wanted to be, they ran into a series of winds. These winds are often called the Protestant winds. This drove many of the damaged ships off. It was just too much for these ships that were already damaged to be able to handle. And remember, they had to abandon their anchors during the fire ship scare. And so they were unable to secure any kind of shelter as they approached Ireland. And they wound up being driven back into the rocks. And locals looted the ships. It's estimated that 5,000 men died by drowning, starvation, and even slaughtered by some of the English forces that were in Ireland. In the end, only 67 ships 
and fewer than 10,000 men survived. Many men, also like Ricalde, survived but were deathly sick, and they died back in Spain. And it's said that when Philip learned of all of this, his response was, I sent the armada against men, not God's winds and waves. The war between England wasn't over yet. It wouldn't actually be over until Elizabeth died. But England had secured the safety of the Channel, and she wouldn't be threatened like that again by the Spanish. So for the book recommendation this week, I'm recommending The Confident Hope of a Miracle, The True History of the Spanish Armada by Neil Hansen. And I'm going to put up a link on the website and the Facebook page. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash Englandcast. And remember, there are extensive show notes for you for this episode, including lots of links to dive into more deeply. The Spanish Armada is something that you just can't talk about in, in just a couple of podcasts properly. So this is really meant to be sort of an introduction. Maybe in the future, we'll go into things a bit more deeply. And if you want to go into it more deeply yourself, I have this whole list of resources in the show notes for these past two episodes. And again, you can get all of that and sign up for the mailing list, etc. at www.englandcast.com. Next episode, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be posting an interview I just did with a PhD student at work, Benjamin Redding. His research is into the development of the Tudor Navy. And I think it's really a nice way to sort of round out this little boat and battle phase that we've been in for the last couple of episodes. We had the little art break, but um, in general, we had the Tudor Navy and then the iron industry. And so this armada stuff. So I think that having this interview with Benjamin Redding is going to be a nice way to kind of sum up a lot of the things that were going on in the Navy during the 16th century. And then we're going to move on to that wonderful Elizabethan institution, the theater, the theater later on in February and moving into March. So that's the plan. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be speaking with you again soon. Thanks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Blow, northern wind, ascend for baby sweating. Blow, northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hörte Bord in Bauerbricht, hat Soli Sam Lies und Sicht. Men-